right now, I'd like to ask us, though, to pray the Lord's Prayer together. We did this a couple of weeks ago. So I think we have, yeah, we have the words on the screen right now. So if you would pray this together with me, we'll get started with the sermon in just a moment. Let's pray this as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, as I was thinking this last week about prayer and what I would share in this final week of the series, I got to thinking about a part of my prayer life uh, that I realized I struggle in and I, I just I saw something I hadn't seen before in my conversation with people. And what I'm concerned about is I think this is common language that a lot of us use that I think we ought to be more careful about. When it comes down to it, it is a phrase that I think really we're lying when we use this sometimes. And I caught myself this week doing this. We know lying's wrong. This is in the Ten Commandments. It's clear in God's law that we want to be people of truth. But what I found myself doing is when I came to someone who was telling me about a difficult situation in their lives, what I found myself doing was responding with this phrase I think probably some of you all have used as well. Well, I'll be praying for you about that. And a lot of the time I say that and I'm able to remember that promise that I make to someone. But i got to confess, there's a lot of times that I say that and I don't follow through with the prayers that I've promised someone. And, you know, it's one thing to to commit a sin. It's another thing to commit a double sin, right? Like two, two sins at the same time. I think that's what that is, right? It's not just lying. It's lying about prayer to God, right? So we got to watch this kind of stuff. But I think the reason we say that phrase is because we're not sure what to say in that moment, right? Someone shares something really challenging in their lives and we want to help them in some way, but we're not sure what words would bring comfort or we're not sure what to do in response. And so the easy thing is to say, well, I'll be praying for you. And I think our hearts are right when we say that, but we have to be careful how many times we say things like that and don't come back and pray for the person we've committed to pray for. But I do believe that's the right response. I'll be praying for you. And I'll tell you a little bit more about why in just a little bit. So one of the reasons, things I want to talk about this morning, last week we talked about uh, the, the title of the sermon was Don't Just Do Something, Sit There. Right, that so often in our lives we just act without getting a call from God to do something out of our prayer life and, and sensing his call to do it. Well, this week's the opposite. We want to focus on don't just sit there, do something. That prayer should go along with action, not just this contemplative life with God that doesn't change anything in our lives. So I want to talk more about that. And I think this is a really important conversation for me and for all of us as we think about how do, how do we take action when God calls us to it and how do we consider prayer as an important part of that action? How do those things go together? Most people, I think, in our, that, I, that I notice who are Christians, uh, we tend to specialize in one of two areas. I think we either specialize in actions that we take or we specialize in, specialize in prayer and in our devotional life. Maybe a way to think about this is Jesus was asked the most important commandment. And he said, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what I see is often we find two of those come naturally to us, I think. So there are some Christians who I, I think I would call mind uh, and, let's see, soul strength, mind and body Christians, basically. They serve God with their, I'm sorry, their heart and their mind. 
So it's easy for them to connect with God through devotion. It's easy for them to connect to God through prayer. Uh, that, that's something they find easy to do. And, and last week's service was a great blessing to you if, you were a, if you're that kind of Christian, if you're a heart and mind Christian. Because you had time to spend time in silence and to contemplate. And, and, and this, it was just easy to connect in that way. You're the kind of person who loves to connect and have your quiet time each day and you need that. But there are others of us that are the opposite. We're soul and strength Christians. And, and for those of us who are soul and strength Christians, you, you, you didn't know if you wanted to come back last week after, uh, this week after last week. Because we spent time in silence, you know, your point is, when are we going to build our next habitat house? Like, can we stop about all this business about listening to God? It's time to do. And I, I get both of those perspectives. Today I want to talk about how those two things go together, that we really need to be people who love God with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strengths. So we value people who are, are in different places when it comes to that. But how do we grow in those areas that are not natural to us? And how do we value the entire body of Christ that finds themselves in different places? These are gifts that God gives to us. But I think we're naturally inclined to one of those two ways of thinking. But I don't think this is a new thing. I think since the very beginning of the church, people have tended toward one or the other. And in the passage I want to br- talk about this morning in Acts chapter 12, feel free to open there if you have your Bibles with you. This is a struggle that's going on for the church, the early church in Acts chapter 12. But before I read from there, I want to talk a little bit about the context here. We've talked already about the persecution in the early church, that it was on the rise. And in chapter 7, we see Stephen, who's the first Christian martyr. He dies for his faith in God. And if you're new to faith or don't know if you know the story of God in some way, I would invite you this week to look at Acts chapter 7. It's a great, quick summary of what God's done all through the Old Testament before Jesus comes. It's a great example. He gives a testimony of God's work in the world. And so in chapter 7, Stephen dies. But in chapter 12, when we come there, we see that James, the brother of Jesus, now has been killed by Herod, who's the ruler at that time. And then Peter, the one who walked on water, you remember this guy who was with Jesus, Peter ends up in prison. And that's what's happened when we start to read in Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So here we find ourselves in this persecution time. Peter's in prison, and the church does what the church does best. When we hear of a need that's going on, we pray and we come together in prayer for whatever it might be. That's why we have prayer lists. That's why prayer at home is a focus for us. There have been seasons in this church's life, I'm sure, where there's been big events or big needs, and this church comes together in prayer for one another. And I appreciate that value, and we want to take that to the next level. That's what this campaign is all about. Not just when we come together at church, in our families, we're doing the very same thing. So the church comes together in Acts chapter 12 to pray for Peter. And, and, and what happens is, meanwhile, there's this prayer meeting. They meet together at Mary's house. Mary's uh, son is a guy named John Mark. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary's son is John Mark, another important person in the book of Acts. So they come together and they start to pray. And guess what happened? God answers their prayer. Peter is broken out of prison by an angel that God sends. And then we read on what happens in verse 13. Uh, Peter knocked at the outer entrance. That's to Mary's house. And a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Now this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. This is a great section in the book of Acts. 
And I know some of you are probably wondering, great, Colin lies to us about praying for us, and now every week he says it's his favorite passage, right? Uh, Every week when I come to Scripture, I find new life in these passages that I hadn't seen before, and it becomes a favorite of mine. I love this passage, though. Because let's review what the details. There's persecution, Peter's in prison, they come together for prayer, and all of a sudden God breaks Peter free. So Peter goes to the only place he knows to go, to Mary's house, because everyone's there. And he shows up at the front door, and he's knocking on the door, and the servant Rhoda comes to answer the door. You see what happens? Would you shut up, Rhoda? Would you be quiet? We're trying to pray for Peter to be released from prison. Don't you love the Bible? Like, this is not propaganda, right? I mean, there are some history books that are written from the winner's perspective, and they get to write it however they want it. No, this is inspired by the Spirit of God, because we would have never included some of these details. This doesn't make them look all that good, does it? Because here they are praying for Peter to be released from prison. God's answered their prayer, and all they can say is, can't you see we're trying to pray for Peter's release? Well, they look like us some of the time, I think. I find myself in the same place. Have any of you been to this prayer meeting before? Maybe not this exact one in Acts 12, but all these people gather together and they come together and they're ready to pray for this big thing and everyone really doesn't believe it's going to happen. Like, we'll offer our prayers up to God, but really we're not expecting anything big. If Peter were to knock on the door, we wouldn't answer the door because that's just crazy talk. Would you be quiet so we can keep praying because that's what we're here to do? And I think uh, those Christians in Acts chapter 12 fall prey to some of the same problems we fall prey to in our churches. Maybe you were taught this as a kid. That, yeah, that God you read about in the story of Elijah and the story of Daniel, this God who did miracles and did incredible things. Yeah, he did that back then, but he doesn't do it anymore. And so we pray our prayers to the God we read about, but we're not so sure that he's still up to the same thing. In Acts chapter 12, they're already getting this sense that maybe God doesn't do what we've seen him do in the past. And I want to challenge that. If that's what you've learned growing up, that that God did that in the apostolic area, well, already in chapter 12, they're wondering if that's a thing of the past. I'm here to tell you that this is a God who still acts. This is a God who hears our prayers. This is a God who answers them and does miracles, not every time. And we still wonder why he chooses to heal when he does and not heal when he doesn't. But, But this is a God who acts. This is a God who answers our prayers. And sometimes God answers our prayers And sometimes God has already answered our prayers. We just have to open the door. I wonder how many of us this morning, we just need to open the door. We've been praying for something for a long time, and God's waiting for us to meet and and see what he's already done in our lives. We just don't have the ability to see it because we're busy praying. See, I think it's time to stop separating action from prayer. Because there are times I've cried out to God, and I said, God, why aren't you doing something about this? You know what I think God says sometimes? I did do something. I created you. I created the church. There are times when God's waiting on us. And when we we throw our hands up and say, God, why are you allowing this injustice to go on? God wants to respond back with the same question. Why are you allowing this injustice to go on? I like the way John Perkins said it. He said, when you see someone who needs a handicap ramp, don't go pray for a ramp. Build them a ramp. Don't just sit there. Do something. So there's a story in the book of Joshua. The people are entering into the promised land that God's already provided to them. And they'd already gone through the Red Sea. You remember this story? Moses parts the waters. They walk through on dry ground. But they come to the Jordan River. And it's time to cross the Jordan River. And the way we think about crossing rivers, we don't really cross rivers. We cross bridges, right? This is a different story. 
It's at flood stage. And I'm just trying to imagine this week. We've got three kids under the age of six. How in the world would we think that we're going to get across a, a raging river at flood stage at that point? Like we don't read these stories in the context they're in. We read them as if we have bridges to cross over. But this is a big problem. The question's not how are we going to get over it. It's how many are we going to lose by getting through this river? And God promises them in the midst of that that I'm going to, I'm going to actually part this water for you. But did you notice, have you noticed in that story when he parts the river? It's in Joshua chapter 3 in verse 14. I want you to pay close attention because I think this may speak to some of our situations right now. Joshua 3, verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Do you notice when it happened? God doesn't part the waters when they're standing there getting to watch it and then they walk through. It takes some people who are going to touch the water first and then he parts it. At the beginning of the book of Joshua, God says that he's going to provide the entire promised land to them. He's promised this to Abram years ago. They've been hearing these stories about the land flowing with milk and honey. And in Joshua chapter 1, they show up and God says, wherever your feet touch the land, it'll be yours. In other words, he's given them access to the land. But there's a difference between access and possession. And so at the end of the book of Joshua, after God has given them access to it all and says, wherever you place your foot, it's yours. They've only taken one third of the land that God had promised them. And it takes until King David to finally get all of the land that God had promised to them. Because sometimes you don't just pray prayers, you've got to answer the door. And sometimes you don't just pray prayers. Your, your feet have to actually touch the water because sometimes it's not just about access that God gives. It's us who step through those doors and take possession of it. And I'm just wondering how much access in our lives right now that God has already provided. He's opened up. He's already won those battles. It just takes us crossing and stepping our foot somewhere to open the door, to put our feet at the water's edge. And all of a sudden we might see that God's already provided the miracle. Here's the good news. Prayer and action can go together. In fact, they must. Because if they don't, then all we have are a bunch of inactive believers or worn out activists. And neither do much good for the world. Now God calls us to bring those things together. And I, I love the Lord's prayer. Because every Sunday I, I, at the church I came from in Denver, we would pray the Lord's prayer every Sunday. And our kids got to learn it. It was something that they've memorized. And Brooklyn, she's probably just a couple of weeks away from memorizing it, right? But, but we, we say the Lord's Prayer. We say it at night. It's something they've called to memory. And I love that because it can become rote in some sense. And that's a fear we have, although we keep doing communion every week and don't have a problem with that, right? We know there's value to ritual. We know there's value to things that happen over and over again. It almost comes to life in new ways and new seasons of our lives, but did you know that Jesus didn't just spontaneously come up with this prayer in Matthew 6? This is actually a famous Jewish prayer called the Kaddish that Jesus takes the Lord's prayer from. And what's interesting is if you look at the Kaddish, there's some significant parts that Jesus chooses to leave out. And I think it's significant one of those places that he leaves out. See, Jesus leaves out the amen. 
The Kaddish had several places where you would say amen. It was the end of things. It was the end of the prayer, but not for Jesus. Now, if you look at your Bibles, depending on translation, you may say, see an amen in there. The, the King James Version has an amen in there. Uh, the NIV doesn't, and it'll have a note at the bottom about this. But the, the best manuscripts we have do not have the amen at the end of the prayer. So when we say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, those are words that have been inserted later on. I think because we're a little nervous saying a prayer without saying amen, right? I mean, who says a prayer without saying amen? Well, apparently Jesus. And then I get to thinking about why Jesus would have left that out of this prayer that people had known for so long. And I think I realize why. Because sometimes when we say the amen, that's the end of our prayer. We've passed it on to God and it's his to do it with, but now we've washed our hands of it and now we can't do anything more about it. This whole sermon, this whole focus is not just about saying the prayer. It's about realizing that sometimes you've got to open the door and sometimes your feet have got to hit the water and sometimes you don't say amen because you have got to be in some way the answer to those prayers that God has called you to be. See, the danger of saying amen is that if we let it, those words can subconsciously insinuate that our part is finished in the journey of faith. It's because we lo- we've learned how to compartmentalize our lives. We, we come here to church and for one hour a week, we believe the most outrageous things. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe that in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus' words are the best way of life, that we're to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, that the blessed are actually those who mourn. We believe all these crazy things until we say the amen and we walk out these doors and it's back to life as normal. I have to wonder if part of the reason Jesus left out the amen was because prayer is more than just an amen and we leave it to God, but actually it calls us to action. See, somewhere I was told that prayer was the safe thing to do. That I I utter my prayers, I say my prayers, and once they're out, then God's going to take care of the whole situation. We list off our demands and God takes care of it. But perhaps we ought to be more careful about the prayers that we pray. See, we taught our kids the Lord's Prayer That's a dangerous prayer to teach your kids. And we walk into church on Sunday morning and think that this is just a nice thing to do together. But but what we're teaching our kids, this incredible, extreme, radical gospel of Jesus Christ, of grace and mercy and and, and freeing chains of people who are still seeing injustice, those things could make them do things that make us uncomfortable one day. And then we're going to ask the question, where do they get these crazy ideas? And, And the truth is from Jesus from the church you brought them to, from the Bible and the prayers that you taught them, from the songs we sing. These are radical things that other governments have already figured out. Maybe we ought to not let them pray certain prayers or sing certain songs because that might just be the most dangerous thing possible. I've been to places in third world countries where, and this is back to the idea of this whole idea, how we say to people, I'll be praying for you. I think this is something we should say and something we should do. But here's why I think that. Because I've been to places in third world countries where I've gone and I've wanted to help them. I'm coming from a place that has a lot more resources than they do. And I get to that place and, and they're in a third world situation. I think there's so much that they need. And I say, what can we do for you? And their response is, would you pray for us? And part of me wants to just kind of say, yeah, 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 I, I get that. But what can we really do for you? As if prayer isn't really all that powerful. And I think those people say that, say, would you pray for us? Because they realize that when you pray for something, all of a sudden you're caught up in that prayer to carrying the prayer out as well. I like the way Eugene Peterson says this. 
He says, be slow to pray. Praying puts us at risk of getting involved with God's conditions. Praying most often doesn't get us what we want, but what God wants. Something quite at variance with what we conceive to be at our best interests. And when we realize what is going on, it is often too late to go back. See, if the earliest Christians had stopped praying for widows and orphans, it's possible they might have forgotten that true and faultless religion is this, to take care of widows and orphans in their distress. See, God isn't just looking for people to pray. He's looking for people to partner with him. And that's us. Because you, you can't just pray for Peter to get out of prison. Sometimes you've got to open the door. So in line with that, I want to talk about a challenge that we want to leave this series uh, today with. If those who serve communion would, would go ahead and get up and be ready to pass out the materials that we've got, we're going to pass one of these packets out to each family unit that's here, if you'd pick one up in just a moment. Next week, I'm going to begin a series called Uncut. And the reason we title it Uncut, and this whole idea is, many of us learn stories of some of these great heroes in Scripture, from our children's Bibles and from our VBS stories. And those are great, appropriate stories to tell eight-year-olds, but when you've grown out of that, sometimes you need to read the whole story, which has more gory and bloody and difficult details than sometimes the stories we read in our children's Bibles. I'm not blasting our children's Bibles. We read them at home with our kids. But there comes a time and a stage where you don't just read it and then pass it on to your kids. You've got to see that God's story is a lot messier than sometimes we've seen it. So we're going to start this series where we're going to go through these biblical characters. I think we're going to grow a lot as a body, but I think this is the perfect series to think about who we might invite, friends, neighbors, coworkers, whoever it might be in your life. We want to be a church that reaches unchurched people, and the only way we're going to do that is if we invite them to be here. And we could do all kinds of advertising in the community and spend all kinds of money, but the truth is the greatest chance anyone has of coming to church is a personal invite from those of you who are connected with the church body. So we want to encourage you to be a part of this, to, to grab one of these cards. You're going to have five of these cards in your packet that you can give to a coworker or neighbor. And don't just take the action. We're talking about how prayer and action go together. So pray over these cards, what God might do with them, with the people that you connect with. We're just trying to make it as easy as possible for you to invite someone. It has a map on it, information on times of service and what the series is. Yeah, go ahead and start passing those out. And just to give you a, a better idea of what this series will be, let's just roll that clip real quick to show this. This will start next week. It'll go up until about Thanksgiving. Um, and I'm, I'm just really excited to share these stories with you. We'll probably have some testimonies and some, uh, some great things that will be coming up along with this. But like I said, we are preparing this in mind for people who've been here for 50 years in this church. People who've been growing up in faith all their lives. No matter where, what stage, it's going to be for you. But it's also for someone who's here for the first time to realize those stories that they've heard in culture. They've got a background to them. And God's grace and redemption can reach us all. No matter your past, God can use you. Amen? You're also, you'll also find a name tag in that packet. What I want you to do with that is I want you to think about, as we talk about prayer and action, who is the one person in your life right now? If you think through all of the people you know, and this may come so easy to some of you because it's on your mind all the time, but who is the one person in your life right now that you need to pray for that they would come to know Jesus and his life-saving message? And I want you to write down on that name tag that person's name. And I want you to put that somewhere that you'll see it often. 
Maybe it'll be on your bathroom mirror, or maybe you'll put it on your dashboard as you're driving as a reminder to pray for that person. But this is not something where we just invite people and just kind of do this thing at church and hopefully they connect with what we're doing. We're praying that there would be a move of God in Collin County. And that we would see him bring people to faith that don't know him, that lives would be changed, and we get to hear more of those stories. And so write that name on there and put it somewhere where you're going to remember it and look at it often this week so you can be in prayer for that person. Because some of us have kids that haven't decided to follow Jesus yet, and it's breaking our hearts. We don't know what to do about it. And there's actions where we can take along those lines, but I think it starts from a place of prayer that God would move their hearts. In fact, I want to pray for that this morning. And again, those cards will be for you to to pass out this week as you find occasion to do so. But right now, I want to lift up a prayer for all the names that will be written on those name tags. That God would move in hearts, that we would see a revival in our time and in our place to see the great works of God now. Because more than anything else, what I want is to make Jesus famous in this place. I want everyone in this city to know him, not just because of things they've heard growing up, but because of the true nature of who he is, that he can change our lives. And he's done it for so many of us, right? A lot of us can tell those stories. Let's pray right now as we uh, think of who we'll write. God, today, as we close this series on prayer, we don't want to close this chapter of prayer in our, our, our church. So God, we want to take prayer and action and bring them together in, in this. God, we ask you to do miracles in people's lives that we've been praying for for a long time. And this may seem meaningless for us because for years we've been praying for the same names and we wonder if if Satan's won out in these people's lives, God. But we believe that the power of the gospel is more powerful than any power Satan has. And we call on that power now, God. We call on your spirit to, in some way, if it needs breaking in people's lives, that you would break. If it means mending relationships to bring them to Jesus, would you mend? God, whatever you need to do to reach those who are far from you, we want to be a part of that. So God, we lift up each of those names and each of the names that are, that are uttered right now in people's minds. God, would you, you, you love them more than even we could. You desire for relationship far more than we even know how to. And so God, in, in only a way you can do, would you work? And God, however you want to use us to open doors or to have our feet touch the water, help us know the words to speak. Help us know the actions to take. God, we, we love you. And we don't do this because we think we need to bring people to you in order to be loved by you. That's already something we've received. It's out of the graciousness and the thankfulness of what we have received that we want to pass it on to others. So use us as your vessels this week, God, and move in the hearts of each of these people that we'll contact this week. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, amen. like to invite all the elders to come forward. Church, we have a, a number of new members to receive this morning. By the way, Colin, thank you for that stirring message, for the challenge that you've given to each of us to do something. It's great. Okay, I would like to invite our new members to come and stand in front, and stand in front of the stage with us. We want to we want to pray over you for just a minute, uh, George and Lynn Ashmore. Okay, this this is better. Just come on up. I'll just read your names. <laughs> They're anxious to get here. All right. Okay, George and Lynn Ashmore, Chris Blair, Kayla and Tyler, Glenn and Tana Brown, uh, Brown, Jess and Terry Ellis, Charlene Hooker.
Paul and Sandy Niffin, Noah and Landon, Joffrey and Verna Majors, Greg and Jackie Miller, James and Betty Munns, Michael and Mandy Okerko, uh, 